0: I stopped and thought, uh-oh, that's been the history of my life. So if you just think about the Israelites of old and the first 66 years of my life was pretty much like that. It's the last four that have been fabulous. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Um, I didn't grow up in a happy home. And it left me with a very low self-esteem and self-image as a failure and unlovable, worthless, useless. Not the greatest um, picture of myself. But despite all the pain of living with her, I had a great dad, which I'm very grateful for because I've always been able to relate to God as my loving father. But my mum was a very abusive, very distressed, very hurt and damaged lady, and she certainly took it out on me. Um, But as a four-year-old child, I got sent to a Sunday school I think probably to get me out of their hair, I don't know. And a very beautiful um, young Christian lady who obviously knew God taught me very soundly that God loved me and he was my heavenly father. And I hung on to that and was able to at some of the bleakest moments in my childhood (laughs) um, when I was in year eight. So I've always known God in some way as a knowledge thing. (coughs) Um, and I never doubted his existence. In year eight, Billy Graham came to Australia and that was pretty amazing and I'd never heard the gospel preached that way or before that. From the time I could read independently, I read the Bible and I went to church and I did everything that put me in the right place and I'm thankful to God for for the way he sort of prepared me in so many ways and kept me in his arms. Um, My school chaplain took us, a group of us to the Billy Graham crusade to one of the early meetings and um, I made a decision that night and I was so um, overjoyed with, with the very immature decision that I still made at that time, but I persuaded my parents to take me along the next night and they both made a decision for the Lord at that time too. So we ended up going to all of the Billy Gray Crusades, culminating in the time that we had 104,000 people at the MCG, when it really didn't hold that many people. It was the biggest crowd that had ever been there. Um, But it wasn't until I was 19 and at uni that I um, experienced new birth and um, power that I sort of limited by my past experiences in lots of ways, but I really did come to know God in a very real way. Um, the next years were very muddled, were not happy. I had two failed marriages in that period of time, um, three children that I practically raised on my own, but God was faithful and has kept every one of those kids and they all live very much in his presence today. And I'm so grateful for God's faithfulness because I certainly wasn't faithful to him. I want to fast forward to the 1980s when things started to suddenly become fantastic for me. And one was because I joined a really fantastic church that was a lot like this, only quite huge. But it had a wonderful eldership of really godly men and women and a terrific pastor teacher, um, and that was at Mount Evelyn Christian Fellowship, and I really did grow there to the extent that they decided I could be a home group leader and put me in um, charge of a very, very needy group of people. It was a really interesting walk, I can tell you. But at the same time, I got involved with the suffering church worldwide in um, communist countries um, in Eastern Europe and um, China. I don't remember how I got involved with that, but I did get totally involved and um, spent a lot of time in prayer for them. Ran a little, um, very small but very effective prayer group in my home every fortnight. Um, And I can remember, told you I'm a pretty flawed person. (laughs) Um, the, The requests that were coming fast and furiously for quite a while were from China and I can remember saying to God, why do I have to always pray for the Chinese? I want to pray for the Romanians and the Russians and those. They're having just as tough a time and I certainly came under conviction. There's been lots of times in my life where I've said miserable things like that to God and it's its its left me in a place of absolutely um, changing and it, and it really did Um, what I could only describe as a love affair with the Chinese church, which at that stage, despite the incredible abuse and uh, the uh, suffering that they were enduring, was growing at a faster rate than the church has ever grown in the history of the church. Um, And it culminated in me um, smuggling Bibles into China twice, which was a fantastic adventure, but it would take me an hour to go through that with you, so... You just have to believe me that it was a fantastic adventure. And uh, I came away with an absolute um, picture of God as just being so incredibly mighty that there was nothing that he couldn't do and there was nothing that I couldn't do with him if he chose for me to do something. But I knew where the power was and it wasn't in me. And I learnt a very interesting thing there that really... A walk with God is just really simple. It really means just obeying what he tells you to do and trusting that he's going to fulfil that. And it reminds me of the song, Trust and Obey. And I'm telling you, Mark, if you actually ever perform my funeral service, I want that sung at my funeral. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's a really good one. Yeah, he can (laughs) sing it. So, you know, I, I was on a pretty spiritual high for the next few years and um, still working with the Suffering Church, uh, using every opportunity I could to speak for them in little groups, not big church groups like this. But thankfully, open doors. Um, didn't really like women speaking in churches, so I didn't have to do that bit. But, but it was a terrific time of growth for me. Um, then I got a call one day from a... Friend who'd gone as a missionary to, um, um, well, he was living in Bangkok, but he was really working into Burma and Cambodia and some of those suffering nations. And um, he he rang me from the airport and said, "I'm just back on business, Val, but I want you to do something. There's a refugee couple in Bangkok." who really need you to get them out here in a hurry. Their lives are on the line and for five bucks each they could be sold down the river back to um, Burma where they would be definitely tortured and probably executed. Um, and I trusted this man and I trusted if he said that he thought I should do something, well, I sort of trusted him, <laughs> that, that, that I should do it. And I said, but Bob, I don't know anything about immigration How do you pick me for that? And he said, no, God's told me it's for you to do. So, okay, so I was to do it, so I did. So I tell you, I badgered members of parliament, diplomats, bureaucrats, non-government agencies, anybody who would listen to me. I badgered for the next couple of months. I had three churches praying desperately for this family. I took up a petition Um, with over 300 signatures of people who were prepared to not only want them in Australia but look after them when they came here. And nothing was happening. Um, And I was getting pretty cranky with God and saying, Lord, what are you doing to me? You tell me to do something, then you're shutting doors in my face. What are you doing here? What I didn't know was that he, I learned heaps about his timing there, what he was doing was waiting for the right chance with the couple that um, we were talking about, whose names were Win and Lele, and Wyn, who was a pretty angry guy at the time, um, had been recognised by another refugee in um, Bangkok, um, and Win freely admits that in his previous role in Burma, he had been torturing his people. Um, He's a pretty scary guy in those days, but if you saw him today, you wouldn't think so. (laughs) Um, He went out and bought a knife to kill this guy and on his way out to kill the man, um, God met him in what only could be described as a Damascus Road experience and his life was just absolutely changed around. Um, So when he arrived here, he arrived as a Christian just desperate to get to Bible college, and he knew which college he was going to. But at the same time, the more I was badgering people to bring him in here, they just kept throwing things in my way, saying there's no program for bringing Burmese here. That seemed totally irrelevant to me. Um, And then they started to tell me of this knife incident. And I said, oh, but this is the second part of that knife incident. He didn't stab the guy. He didn't kill him. And he's now become such a strong Christian. He's just the sort of person we want in our country. And And one of the diplomats, one of the senior diplomats in Burma said to me, over my dead body, will that man ever get into Australia? And that was echoed by everyone I spoke to. So I'm getting pretty angry with God at this stage and arguing with him about what on earth you're doing, Lord, asking me to do this, and nothing happened. So I decided if I couldn't go up through the chain to the top in Australia, I'd start at the top of the world powers and come down and put pressure on the Australian government. So um, I'm telling you this only because it's relevant later, (laughs) Um, he I decided to write to the High Commissioner of Refugees in Geneva, um, United Nations High Commissioner. Uh, so I started writing and I wrote for many nights up to two or three o'clock in the morning and put together a package um, of letters and um, papers that just sort of uh, supported it and that um, petition that I'd done, I... Um, certified it and sent it off, and I never got an answer to that letter, which has always irked me quite a bit that they didn't have the manners to even acknowledge it. And I never heard any more about it, and somehow, meanwhile, and I didn't think with any any relation to anything that I'd ever done, but um, Win and Lele arrived here. And he, just as another aside, his main ambition was to get to this particular theology college in New um, New South Wales, at the, it was just going to turn up the next in the next semester. And I said, you can't just do that, um, mate, you've got to um, at least find out about accommodation and stuff. Like, oh, no, no, God's told me to do it, I'm just going to do it. So I rang the principal and once again I get this closed door um, Uh, no, we don't want him here, we're not sure that his uh, written English would be good enough to cope with tertiary studies and certainly we just don't have any accommodation for families because by this stage they had two little ones and another one on the way. Um, I have to tell you, we did go there (laughs) and he became a very loved member of that community. He's since planted at least two churches that I know of in Sydney and ran a um, mission until very recently of mercy to hurting people in the world and taking millions of dollars of aid and seeing hundreds of people, not only thousands probably over the years, who've not only heard the gospel for the first time but have responded to the gospel. So being involved in his life's been pretty amazing. (laughs) Um, Now... um, Remember that letter because it becomes relevant later. So I sort of muddled on again, um, feeling pretty disillusioned, particularly with my second marriage, where I was married to a guy who was not only abusive, but really, to me, but really bashed my children as well. And it was when they left and married that I really then felt that I had the opportunity to get out of that and um, decided that I'd really like to that I was going to go... I just was not going to put up with it anymore. Um, I spoke to the elders of my church who said that... And and at least one person on that eldership had seen my my husband at that time um, try to strangle a girl who worked for him in his bakery. Um, So I knew that they knew about him. Um, They said to me in the end, probably very, very rightly... (laughs) um, that they didn't think any woman should have to put up with what I was putting up with, but um, I still had to stay there. And I just got so angry with God that I decided, well, that's it, Lord. If that's what you require of me, I'm not doing it. You can just forget it. I am not your servant anymore. I want nothing to do with you. I know you're there. I know you've got a call on my life, but you can forget about it. And I have to tell you that the prodigal son had nothing on what I became. After having turned away like that, um, I just descended into behavior. I thought I was having a ball, by the way. I felt free at last. Free is a really freedom's a really interesting term. Um, and I was doing things and having a ball, and I found all these friends who really weren't friends, and. Um, I was descending into behaviours that you really don't want to know about but believe me, I wasn't the nicest person to know and my heart became so hard, I gave Christians hell every opportunity. Any Christian who bothered or was stupid enough to tell me they were Christians copped with both barrels and I really knew where to get them (laughs) and not many of them would continue to um, talk to me because I really gave them a bad time. So while this was all happening and while there appeared to be some good things going on in my life, inside, and nobody would have guessed what was going on because I was pretty good at hiding, eh? inside I had no sense of integrity and I was spiralling further and further into the depths of despair. And around four years, about four years ago, very much sitting in a state of despair that day, I had a phone call from Wynne in um, Sydney, who said, Val, God's just given us a new home and we want to have a housewarming party and we want you there because we want to be surrounded by our family. Well, need family to me, so I understood that. And I said, look, I'd love to come win. Part of me wanted to, part of me knew that I'd have to deal with God if I went there. <laughs> so I wasn't really that excited about going. Um, I said, I, I really don't have the money to get there because I was really having a lot of financial difficulties at that time, which are not now. Um, and he said, no, Val, we want you here. We will pay for you to come. And he sent down first-class tickets for me. Um, so I had to go. When I got there, he picked me up in this flashy... Not only has he got a three-storey house overlooking the Georges River now, which is the third house God's given there, um, he picked me up in this flashy, huge... Lexus limousine like I'd never been in in my life and started to say, you know, Val, we've got 250 invited guests. This is his close family, but they are family to him because they were all Christians that he'd worked with and lived with and loved. coming on Saturday, and we, we want you to speak at that group. We want you to give your testimony. Testimony was a dirty word to me. It was really was. You couldn't have used the worst word, and I was furious. And there's no way I could give a Christian testimony. That was just totally out of it. Up. And I said, no, if I'd known you were going to ask me to speak, I wouldn't have come. And he persisted, but Val, you're such an important part of our story. I don't think I am really, Win. I think you're overstating that. But you are. Val. we've prayed for you every day, um, and we and I know that, that he did because he'd ring me up and tell me that. And I <laughs> um, <laughs> anyhow. Um, he persisted, and I said, "No, there's no way, Win. I don't do public speaking for number one." Um, And I really want to go home, if that's what you're going to insist on. And he said, but Val, you really don't understand. You know that letter you wrote to the United Nations? I said, I never told you about that letter, Wynne. How do you know that? And he said, a guy working with the United Nations in Bangkok told me about it. And he said, that letter was sent to the Australian government. And the Australian government, as a result of it, I think because of the, the petition that went with it, um, have now f- formed a program for bringing Burmese refugees to Australia. And the the same guy who said to me, over my dead body will that man ever enter Australia, called me, or he, well, he didn't know that he'd said that to me, um, but he called, went into his office in Bangkok and said... Mr Wynne, and made him comfortable for a change. Um, Congratulations, Mr Wynne, shook hands with him and said, you're the first Burmese refugees to be allowed into Australia under the new thing. Now, he'd never told me that story, so for 20 years I'd been really griped about that letter. Um, And I just went, God, you are amazing. (laughs) I was just... (laughs) I just give in, was what I said. And I think probably what happened there was for the first time in my life, I was completely surrendered to God because I really knew exactly who he was. And one of the first things I asked him after that was to soften my heart and sometimes I say, Lord, could you just back off a bit of that? But uh, uh, he knows best for me, so if I cry, I cry. <laughs> um, And I came home a really changed person. I came home also with a knowledge even of the church that I had to go to because the Holy Spirit had spoken to me in one sentence that someone had, from one sentence that I'd heard, um, and told me to go to um, Vineyard Church. And all these churches with crazy names, Lord, couldn't I just go to the Baptist church or Anglican church or something that I understand? Um, Anyhow... Um, i never heard of it, and the only one that I had heard of in that situation was um, the one in um, Yarra Valley, and it was too far for me to go. Anyhow, I said to my son when I got home, Pete, do you know of a church called Vineyard? And he said, oh, yes, Mum, and there's one in Berwick, where I live, um, And, Mum, they would love you and you would love them. (laughs) So I was hooked and I went along there the next year and and sat under some amazing teaching about kingdom living and living in the supernatural and all the stuff. I hate that word, but it means lots to me, (laughs) that we've been learning about lately, which has just opened up my life in, in lots of different ways. And the other thing I came home with was, On the Sunday night, they took me to Hillsong and I'm thinking, Hillsong, how could anything good come out of Hillsong? Um, All they talk about is money and and that gripes me (laughs) Um, and worldly riches and that gripes me too because I don't see Jesus living that way. Um, I don't doubt for a moment that God does bless people with riches. That's not what I'm saying, but I don't think that's where our hearts ought to be. (laughs) Um, and there was a guy called Cy Rogers there speaking. I hope there's no kids here. Who's a Who was a, a cross-dresser um, whom God spoke to just as he was about to have gender-changing surgery and um, has become a, um, an amazing Christian guy who had a fabulous message that I'm sure, with all the thousands that were there, was meant just for me because he spoke about Love and the twisted meanings that's been given today in the world and used in so many different ways, like I love coffee and and homosexual use of the word, all that sort of gunk. Um, And he replaced it with the word valued and he went through scripture after scripture and it really just spoke to me that God not only loved me but he valued me, which was a pretty good high to come home on. So that's when the good stuff started. That's about four years ago. And since then, I hope I can get through all these points. Have I got time? <laughs> There's been a total change in the focus of my relationship with God. It's not about me and my neediness and God, please help me to do what, what I want to do for you. But it's about who God is and what. And really, it's, it's all about who he is and not about me and my needs anymore and what he wants me to do is just the corollary to that. I've got a new self-image. I am a different person now. And I choose to align with God's definition of who I am. I don't always succeed in that, and I'd be lying to you that I do. Um, but he's teaching me ways of short-circuiting that in so many different ways. And one of the ones recently has been just simply to say, when a new thought comes into my it's called in the Scriptures taking every thought captive, I think, but it's an easy thing to do. You just have to say, Lord, whose voice is that? Is it your voice? Then I'll do it. Is it my voice from old? Well, that needs to, if it's out of kinta with your truth, then it needs to come in line with your truth, and, and I will do that. If it's Satan's voice, I just tell him to go to hell where he belongs. And I actually, I actually had an experience, which is off on a tangent, sorry, <laughs> um, uh, at the Andrew Centre where I work, um, which is a Christian crisis service, um, where I, I was asked suddenly to go out and help someone else pray for a lady who was a really sick lady and the Andrew Centre, had been working with her for a long time. And my friend Judy, who runs the centre, said, Oh, come and help me. And said, I'm sick of Satan having his way in this lady's life. Come pray with me. And I did. Oh, what am I going to say? And as I was put my hands on her and prayed for her, I felt the power of God just come on me and through me and nearly knocked me over. And I thought, Lord, and I was trying to pray for her and saying, Lord, it's not me that needs you. It's this lady. Please, just... Slut out of it. <laughs> um, anyhow, I did pray for her and something happened that day. I don't know what it was. She doesn't know. But from that time, she really changed in her relationship and she's now an amazing Christian with an incredibly fabulous testimony to give, though she's still racked with pain and all sorts of unimaginable illnesses. I can't imagine one person having them, but she has. Um, And on the way home, along the freeway, I heard this voice coming from the back of my car. It was a clear voice saying, who do you think you are? Praying for people to be healed when you can't heal yourself. And um, the Holy Spirit just said to me, remember Paul? And I just said, Paul's had a thorn in his flesh and it didn't stop him. If it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. So in the name of Jesus, just go to hell where you belong, and he did, and he's never bothered me again (laughs) like that. He still has little giggles, but he doesn't ever try to speak to me like that again, so I know he's defeated and I keep telling him that. Um, Okay. So I think I'm through that point. (laughs) Um, Also, the other thing that he's taught me clearly is, not only who I am, but why I'm here and what he wants me to do. And that's very clear to me now that he's given me a job that I absolutely delight in because it's actually the, the way... Surprise, surprise, it's the way he's made me <laughs> to be. And, and that's just to be walking alongside people, encouraging them, um, particularly the people who are really hurting and have given up trusting anyone, let alone God. They've really damaged people that I meet at the Andrew Centre and people who are just sent into my life all the time. I could be just sitting at home trying to sew and I'll get a phone call. That means I've got to get up and go and walk with somebody. It's a very gentle thing to do, but it's, it's just something that I can't help doing. It's just so much part of me. And it's not me. I'm still me. It's God that's just has this amazing love flowing through me so that I just can't help but to love them. Sometimes I've got to choose to love people who are living some pretty incredible lives but, um, and who just keep wallowing in their pain and distress and don't ever try to do things to get out of it. But nevertheless, he just keeps me going back and back and, and I have really loved that and there's nothing else in this world that I would rather do. So I'm very grateful, again, to that, to him for that. Another thing he's taught me about is kindness. And it's just a small thing, but, again, I don't think there's a choice about, um, like, there's no choice about us loving people. It's an instruction. It is kindness to people. And there's a verse he gave me many, many years ago from Job that says, when someone is about to faint or despair... Kindness is due from his friend, lest he forsake the fear of the Lord. That's an awesome statement. And the responsibility that comes with it for the sake of a little word of kindness or a small kind act, the thought that somebody might lose their eternal relationship with God because I failed to do that is a really strong motivator for me Um, to continue with some of the people that I've worked with. I don't want that on my conscience—that someone has failed, will fail to have a relationship with God because I didn't bother to be kind to them. And it's not hard, and it ought to be automatic because it's—if um, we've got the Spirit operating in us, it ought to just be one of the fruits of His operating within us. Um, another thing I hear a lot of other people saying now is choice. Actually, I was a social worker for a long time and I really, the counselling technique I used mainly related to that choosing and always having a choice in life and being responsible for your own choices. And it's as significant in that setting as it is in our lives because everything we do or think is a choice and we can go God's way or we can go our own way. Um, uh, the, the next thing is sort of stepping out into what God's told me to do and that means us, I suppose, all of us. And, and it actually means not, I don't feel at all capable of doing the things he asks me to do, not for a minute. And I know that when I step out, I'm stepping out in his strength and, and conf- my confidence is absolutely in him to fulfil what he started. But I know I've got to do something. So when he says pray for someone, I'm saying, all right, Lord, I'll pray for them, but what do you want me to pray? Holy Spirit, you know what's right. You know God's mind here. Show me what to pray. And he always does. So, yeah, but you've got to step out. And if I could encourage people, I know how limited time is for me because I'm 70 and I know I haven't got that many years left. I've. But every time I have a word of knowledge or... Uh, prophecy over my life, God has said to me, the first thing he says is, I'm not finished with you yet. I've still got work for you, so I'm not worried about <laughs> When he takes me, that'll be just extra joy to me. But in the meantime, I've still got work to do. But don't take... I'd just like to encourage young people not to waste 60 years of your life because none of you ever know when he'll take us. I've got a time bomb that could go off in my head at any moment and take me just bang like that, Um, it's not going to happen until he chooses for that to happen, so it's not a problem. There's another thing he's taught me very clearly, that he never promised us a rose garden, that there's always going to be trials and tribulations in this life and he said that. And he also said to pick up your cross and follow me. So if you think life's going to be rosy as a Christian, it ain't. But it's going to be good because it's amazing how he'll meet you in those times. And he's been teaching me a lot about thankfulness. It's not really hard. You could sit down and spend a day writing the things that you can be thankful for to God and still probably not finish the list. But it's something that I've found and it's been an instruction to me to just pray with thankfulness, to just be thankful at all times and I've sort of used that in times of prayer and, and when I'm in his presence, I guess. But um, And it certainly is a shortcut way to joy and peace. But lately he's been saying to me, I don't want you to just be thankful then. I want you to be thankful in the bad times. I want you to be thankful for illness. And I was saying, Lord, what are you on about? How can I be thankful for illness? Um, I live in constant pain and I... St- got that thing in my head but I had how do you be thankful for that just do it Valerie he says but why just do it Valerie so I've learned to do it and I've started doing I'm practicing doing it and it's been amazing I keep saying Lord, what do you want me to learn from this are you trying to teach me something just do it he says <laughs> and along the line I am finding things that he's teaching me apart from the the ability to get through it with his strength and really leaning on him, I actually am aware in the last couple of weeks that the pain level that I've lived with for a long time is dissipating. Now whether that'll go is up to him. I don't, I don't really care because I know he's with me anyhow. And the other thing that I'm learning, I have been learning, is perseverance, and he sort of put a, a real plus on that one by telling me in scripture, now scripture I've probably read millions of times but it never really meant much to me, that perseverance brings completeness. Is that right? And I think, wow, what a concept, Lord, bring it on. I mean, I can't wait to be persevere through things these days because I know it's going to bring completeness and completeness in God is just something that blows my mind. And and I can only say, bring it on, Lord. So, yeah, there's all these things he's been teaching me. And I'm just amazed at, at the way he meets. He's not just this powerful, all-knowing, almighty God that is the ruler of everything, a creator of everything. He actually cares and meets and works with us and works through us. That's another thing that blows my mind, that he'd choose to work through limited people like us, like me, I'm not saying you, but me. Um, But he has chosen to do that. And I keep saying, Lord, why would you do that? I haven't got an answer to that, but I know one day if it's necessary, I'll get the answer. So, yeah. And I guess finally I've been really thankful for him leading me here because to me in this church there's a culture of honour and love that I've never experienced anywhere before and that has been just so freeing in itself and so I just wish I could give something back (laughs) to people here because it's just been an an amazing high to be on the last 12 months I've been here doesn't mean I haven't been having some tough times that would be lying too. but um, I just wish that we could I want to jealously guard what we've got here, not to keep it for ourselves. I hope there'll be heaps of people that we can bring in, but um, we have to work at it, and it's not going to just keep happening. We have to really still keep this idea of honouring people and honouring each other's differences instead of trying to put us all in, make us all the same... It's not what the body's supposed to be about to be. It's supposed to be all different things and parts. So honouring the different gifts that he's given each of us is something I really treasure, and I treasure that experience in this church where I've felt for the first time in my life that, that um, I've actually been valued by, by the church and given an opportunity to serve with the particular gifts he's given me, which are pretty simple gifts, but they're, they're hit his work and and I love it. So thank you for for what you've given me. I really am grateful for, for being in this church. Okay.